0: Just like the first disciples, Teach Us to Pray should be eagerly and always on the lips of every follower of Jesus. I'm Luke Heisler. This is the Teach Us to Pray podcast. I've been taking another look at the ways I was taught to pray over the past year and a half or so. I'm wanting to continue and deepen that journey for myself and provide a kind of roadmap for others on the way. And so, this is a limited exploration through Christian prayer where we'll take a look at the different marks of a prayerful life, talking with some friends about what it means to pray until we become prayer. In these conversations, we'll be trying to break prayer down to its most basic form, communion of the mind with God, learning together how to become people marked by the presence of God in both the secret place and the public square. Thanks for listening. Let's dive in. hey welcome back to the podcast today um i'm really excited for this one uh my guest is jim thompson he is a pastor um down here in greenville south carolina at um, fellowship greenville he just wrote a book actually called sing loud and die happy um i know him just through some friends uh of mine that have worked with him go to his church interned with him etc etc and uh We've had a couple great conversations just about all of the Christian things. Um, And uh, he's a great thinker and a really curious person and really profound. And I don't think he would say any of that himself, but he uh, really knows his stuff, especially when it comes to song and singing as prayer. Um, He's involved with a really cool... uh, organization i guess called hymns and hops here in the upstate of south carolina Um, and they're growing fast it is a kind of occupy a bunch of christians get together and we go and we occupy a brewery in the area Um, happens maybe once or once a month uh, once every two months and uh, we just sing a bunch of songs about god and uh, we just worship together and uh, it's really cool and and that's Kind of a little bit about Jim. This is a great conversation. We get into a lot of Trinitarian stuff, surprisingly, about uh, worship. Um, We get into a lot of practical stuff about worship and uh, singing and how to do that. Um, And yeah, thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about uh, what is prayer. Um, if you didn't catch that one, maybe go back and listen before really listening to any of the other conversations, because we kind of, prayer is a lot of things, um, and we kind of broke down um, like what is prayer, a little bit of what prayer is not, and, and then some practical ways to insert like those really broad strokes ideas that we talked about back into your life, um, into the everyday. Um, and as we move throughout the rest of the conversation um, and kind of focus in on some more um, niche areas of prayer, I guess um, that conversation will be super important. This week, though, um, we're talking about corporate praise and worship um, and corporate prayer and sort of all ideas around that. And um, I've got a guest on this week. Um acquaintance, friend, whatever, pastor, guy I know. Brother. Uh, brother, there we go. <laughs> um, Jim Thompson. Jim, tell us a little about yourself, who you are, what you like, what you don't like.
1: Yeah, I'd love to, man. Thanks for letting me, thanks again for letting me uh, hang out with you guys on the little podcast here. Um, my full name is James Walker Thompson IV, which makes me sound smarter than I am, which is great. I'm a pastor in Greenville. I've been on staff at a church called Fellowship Greenville for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Very happily married to Sarah with no H. She's incredible, wonderful, amazing. If you care about Enneagram, she's a 9-1. I'm a 1-2. We get along um, swimmingly. She's an angel, and I adore her. I have two children, Anna Jubilee, who lives up to her middle name. She's 10, and she's happy, spastic, beautiful. And then James Walker Thompson, the fifth. Got to carry it on. Didn't have to pray about the name on that one. Uh, And he's 13 and in eighth grade, and middle school is special. But I adore him. I'm like... You know, good old family guy, pastor guy. Um, So, yeah, I'm just really thankful for God's many and layered gifts uh, in my life right now. You said say some things I don't like. Oh, and (laughs) what you do like. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. Okay. I don't like uh, Clemson Athletics. Okay. Big Gamecocks fan. I'm so sorry. I don't like the beach. Uh, I know. Yeah, lose some votes. You can cut off the podcast now. (laughs) Uh, What else do I not like? I don't like people who only. I don't want to say people. It frustrates me when people only read things that confirm what they already believe. And they're not willing to be uh, intellectually honest or balanced. Um, I don't like my uh, own proclivity to arrogance. (laughs) Um, Things that I am grateful for my family, my church family. I love reading and ideas. I love, love, love. Like I was in a Bible study this morning. And it was just when Jesus says in Luke 24 in the resurrection, he's like, hey, everything in the whole Old Testament is about the fact that the Messiah will die and rise, suffer, Uh die, and rise on the third day. And I'm like, maybe the Messiah, but suffer and die and rise on the third day? And so I love the idea of the detailed, cruciform nature of all of Scripture and Mm. trying to see Jesus and the cross and the resurrection in everything. I just love, love, love that because it's as fun as it is intriguing, as it is confounding, as it is glorious. And so, um, yeah, those are a lot of my uh, theological... Uh, pursuits and thoughts right there
0: cool awesome yeah jumping right in I guess um well you wrote a book I did um it's called Sing loud die happy um it's a great uh it's a pretty it's a pretty uh like short book too. Yeah. it's like 120 some odd pages yeah. something like that um easy easy, easy read easy, yeah easy read yeah. um it's funny it's witty I was slipping through it uh last night and this morning and I was like oh
1: can't wait to read this I tried to make it accessible you know yeah
0: it, it is very accessible and and really well organized and I'm um, happy to talk about it today um so I think kind of in this vein of prayer and what is prayer and and all the things um a lot of times I think when maybe more mainline Christians because I think as for, as as the closer you get toward like orthodoxy and tradition and like m- the traditions that have really that really have sort of like a tendency towards Um, the more ancient things, but at least for like mainline evangelical or non-evangelical, whatever, uh, when we think of prayer, we don't think of really singing songs or Mm. reciting liturgies corporately, or even coming together, like to pray with other believers. Like even that sort of like, we forget Mm. about that sometimes, but I think like there is a recognition that so many of us have felt God's presence very tangibly. And in a lot of cases, maybe with some people most tangibly, Mm. um, during worship, um, so I think whether you're from a tradition that does approach worship, like really loudly with lights and electric guitar and fog and blah, 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 yeah. um, or your speed is more like singing ancient hymns, acapella, um, in like a beautiful cathedral, um, music does something to us and yeah. God does something to, in and with us through songs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you wrote a book about it. So, um,
1: that, that means I'm an expert question mark. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> Yeah, I guess just share a little bit of your experience with that, and and um, like, why do you or like maybe some insight into like why you think that is?
1: Yeah, I think to narrow your question just a little bit, I think if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, no matter what stripe you are, even if you have different takes on what the Bible is and does, you're going to have to come down to this practical question, and that is, it's a theological and practical question, and that is, what is the relationship between song and prayer? Mm. Um, And I think that guides a lot of the discussions that you're kind of hinting at. Um, And so in the intro of my text, I say, for the history of Christianity... Christians have done three things. They've done scripture, they've done prayer, and they've done song. Mm-hmm. And with scripture, with Bible stuff, it's like we preach the Bible, we talk about the Bible, read the Bible, encourage people to read the Bible, tell them how to read the Bible. With prayer, we do it similarly. We pray individually, pray corporately. We teach them how to pray. Here's your acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Yeah. Like we have all these different <clears throat> books of common prayer, all these wonderful resources, and we encourage that. Um, and people do that around meals. It's so... But with singing, with the third one, and this is why I wrote my book, it's like you got 2,000 years of people just doing it and never really talking about the mechanics and the why and the how and the Mm. philosophy and the rootedness and the like. There's neurobiological, there's emotional, there's theological things happening when we sing. And so one it's the negligence of that final category that made me write my book. Another thing is that the more I pressed on singing – so if you have three things that Christians have always done, prayer, or excuse me, scripture, prayer, and singing. And then the singing one seems to be the neglected one. The more I pressed on it, the more I realized that one of the reasons it's neglected is it's just presupposed on because it is the place where scripture and prayer actually often yeah. meet together mm-hmm. That's and come together. And so um, it is no surprise at all then that... The Psalter, the Psalms, is both Israel's hymn book and prayer book. Yeah. And so both of those things were together in the minds of the ancient Hebrews. And uh, I, it's attributed to Augustine. You know, you can you can do historical critical method all you want. But somebody back in the day, uh, it's often attributed to Augustine, says, he, he who sings praise twice, mm. which is really beautiful. And I think there is uh, – that's the little tip of the iceberg above the surface of the water. Yeah. And I think there's a lot – that you can pick at underneath that. But I think there is a great beauty to that that I think the Bible would thumbs up that he he who sings, uh, the one who sings, prays twice. Um, so yeah, I think there's a great beauty to song, a prayerful, soulish, uh, existential, um, divinely relational something that happens when we sing mm. that is often
0: left unexplored um, in many Christian spaces. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think we'd both agree that it's fair to just call singing like praying, and in, in some in yeah. some degree, um, our kind of working shorthand definition of prayer for this podcast is Augustine's communion of the mind with God. Oh, nice, um, so good. I just think like that really sums it up, and and um, whether that's like violent and vigorous and petition and intersec- intercession, um or like just loving, attentive prayer, um, as is like prayer of the heart. Right. Um, like, so yeah, I think if it, if it is about intimate connection with God, well, I guess first, how do you see this type of corporate prayer and worship like through scripture? Like, yeah. How is it maybe modeled for us? And you mentioned the Psalter. Um, I think that's a really important, um, like point that, that it was their prayer book and their, Hymn book, yeah, um, but yeah. What other places, or even like dive into into mm. the Psalms that you see?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to uh, race through the Bible in my mind right now. Um, I'm don't I'm trying to think of the first corporate prayer in the Bible. I mean, you, I know you got the classic post exilic mm. like Daniel nine is glorious, but the first corporate worship song is in Exodus 15, which is on the other side of the Red Sea, Mm. after um, they're set free from slavery. And it serves as both uh, a prayer of thanks and praise. Um, So that example of the first corporate worship song also being a prayer song, I think, does pave the way and then to get really fun and technical. (laughs) The first corporate worship song in the Bible is Exodus 15, and the last one is Revelation 15. Which is also, it's called the Song of Moses. It's on the other side of a sea yeah. in, in John's visions. It's a freedom song. <clears throat> so those bookends of Exodus 15 and Revelation 15 mm. serve as like these uh, communal prayer melodies to be like, we want to hear each other as we want God to hear us. Mm. Um, and I think there is a unifying... Uh, factor to that that is divinely designed, mm. and so I think when you talk about worship and prayer and how it relates to uh, singing, I think singing is often intended to be a vehicle for uh, communing with the divine, whether it be request or just opening our hearts up, or, or even listening. Mm. Um, in, in a way, I think you could you could say that uh, Rabbi Avraham. Uh, let's see what's his name? Avraham Heschel. Avram Yeshua Heshel, I think it's it's his full guy, but he has a bit where he says the purpose of prayer is not to make requests. The primary purpose of prayer is to praise and to sing and chant mm. because the essence of prayer is a song, and humanity cannot live without a song. Yeah. So he, of course, I'm using that as leverage for my yeah, book right, and stuff. Right. But, I mean, you have, you have a rabbi here steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures who says, Uh, We often think of song as the vehicle to prayer, but he's saying that he flips it and that there is a communing, um, a a soulful, songful communing that happens um, when we pray through singing that I think is, is really beautiful.
0: Yeah, man. So I guess that praying through singing, like what does that, like, and I think uniquely, I don't know if prayer of the heart contemplation, right, thinking about like Henry yeah. Now and those guys. I don't know if that can be I mean, Henry Now in the most recent example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes way <laughs> back to um uh Abba Moses, right, in um Desert Fathers and um like that sort of attentive silence mm. um mm. is is usually not the same thing as like a frustrated challenge, like in mm. petition or whatever. But I think song has a really unique opportunity to be both of those things and other things yeah. at once. Um, so I guess thinking of that and thinking of like, you know, this vehicle, right? Yeah. What does uh, what does song teach us about God? And ha- like, oh, how this. does it? Mm. like draw us near to him and, and maybe even how does it draw us in, uh, into collaboration with him?
1: Oh, this is great, man. First of all, I will, I will, do want to answer your question because that's a perfect one about how does it draw us in? Um, I also think your setup there is beautiful in the sense of like, isn't it funny that the Psalms are songs that say, for God alone, my soul waits in silence, but you're singing, I'm waiting in silence, Yeah, which is yeah. not the thing that you're <laughs> singing. And so I think the nature of the Psalter specifically as our example, our hymn book and our prayer book is to go, we need to wait and sing and pray and we need to wait and be still and listen. Even the little Selah throughout the Psalms. Right. And again, I, I mean, to lead into your question, all of that together, whether the bigness and the loudness and the the like full robust singing or the quiet stillness, be still and know, be still and know that I am God. Right. All of those things are, I think, divinely intended. They're, they're, they're going to conspire together to teach us something about who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, L- let me get your question again. Was it how does singing and praying like this teach us something about God?
0: Yeah, and. In teaching us, draw us near to him. And okay, in yeah. drawing us near, invite us to collaborate. So kind of a three-part question, but it's kind of the same answer, sure, I think. why not? not?
1: All three. Oh, I'm so tempted to go abstract here. I might try to dabble. Um, go for it. Let's do it. Let's, dab- let's dabble. Um, there is no song that exists that is merely one sung and unbroken note. Mm. So that is just a note. That is not singing. That is not a song. Uh... And so I think singing includes movement and melody. Mm. Uh, singing actually is a, a dual art form married together. You have lyrical poetry yeah. content, yeah. and then you have melodic movement content. So you can have a melody without people singing, uh-huh. and uh, you can have poetry without people putting a melody to it, but it's the marriage of this, these two art forms. Uh-huh. Uh the point and then you can add instrumentation, and then you can add harmony uh-huh. and so I think the point of singing is that it invites participation, yeah um so singing there are layers, there are instrumentation, there's harmony, there is different ways that the melody can go, there is different ways to add on to the poetry, mm. so I think the idea, and you can get to <clears throat> uh philosophy of music and and all these things the idea of what music is and what music is doing, if we seek to parallel that with the divine life, the, the, the divine life uh-huh. is something that waves us in and draws us in. Mm-hmm. Peter Lighthart, you know Lightheart? You ever read him? No. He's a fun bird. He's uh, interesting, but he's really uh, fun to read. He's got a book called Traces of the Trinity huh. in which he'll just write a chapter about sex or write a chapter about sound, and huh. he'll talk about how life... Um, Exists as Trinitarian. So he has this chapter about sound and he says that uh, sound takes up space without uh, but invites people to also fill the space. There's nothing else like it. Like you can be in a room and hear sound in every part of the room, but that actually makes you want to join in the sound. Uh He says it somehow takes up space and invites people into the space at the same time. and So that's just sonic in general but if that Uh, sonic filling has melody and harmony and poetry and instrumentation. Then it is is a reality, a unique reality. Because it's not the same as looking at a visual piece of art. I Mm. can't – there's only so many people that can fit around the Mona Lisa. Yeah, right. So there is a uniqueness to the art and the craft of singing, which includes both melody and poetry, There's a uniqueness of that that draws people in and almost without us knowing it demands, happily demands our participation. Mm. So that is the Lewis in commanding us to glorify him. God is inviting us to enjoy him, which I think is, is deeply wonderful. Now, all of this, I think, runs parallel to the divine life. So when you have a triune God. Perfect harmony, you know. Oh, that quote you have, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So good. (laughs) Super fun. So when you have a triune God who is, it says that he sings in Scripture in in Zephaniah 3 and Psalm 32 and other places. When you have a triune God, it's that the overflow and beauty and abundance of his own eternal divine life Uh is the thing that welcomes us to participate in it. Yeah. Um, And so there is a great... Uh, glory to seeing God as this songful deity who whose mere existence uh, invites participation. And yeah. that's why I think, I mean, this is one way to say it. It can be a metaphor. But that's why we're created in his image. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't create us as like lowly earthlings. You're down there to have to do my bidding. We're created to be like him and look like him. Yeah. And this is why old uh, Tolkien's got... Luvatar singing the world into existence uh-huh. in Cimmerillion. Oh. <clears throat> this is why Aslan has Ola, or Lewis has Aslan singing Narnia into existence with song. Mm. I think they're touching this reality of if we apply songful, soulful singing and musical realities to God, the God of Scripture, then there is a transcendence to it that is
0: just, waving us in yeah, to share and to participate in that divine life. There, there's something about joining somebody in song, mm. like at, like singing along to somebody singing yes. that is so unifying and so like if we want to use like biblical language, like conforming, right? So mm, if we yeah. join God in his song, um, like I think that is a, uh, you know, I, I think song may be used in a literal sense and also song used in a more metaphorical sense of like, 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 just the way of God. Yeah. Um, like, if we join in, in that song, that is how we, you know, become like him. Um, yeah. I think Je- is cool. uh, yeah.
1: Uh, Jeanette Bicknell wrote this book a few years ago, you know, when I was writing my book and trying to do research. I just tried to scour all, like, abstract <laughs> yeah. books on yeah, singing. Right. And there's tons on music, but not on singing. But she wrote this book called A Philosophy of Singing. Hmm. And uh, she's a philosophy professor and a music professor somewhere. And she gets to the point in this book where she's listing out some science and some uh, brain stuff and she basically goes to the point where she says, the activity that will create human bond and connection more than any other Mm -hmm. activity is singing with other people. And she explains it all and it it just makes so much sense. Uh, That if that's true on a scientific, uh, sociocultural level and social level, Mm. why would it not be true on a vertical, spiritual level
0: as well? Yeah. 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 And I think in the Christian church, like that being true on a horizontal, social level, Mm. is it being true on a vertical level? Because like when I'm standing in a brewery on a Sunday night singing with total strangers, right, that I I don't know and and (laughs) probably if I got into – theological discourse with some of them, I would disagree. Yeah. And and I had friends there too, and, and people I recognized from classes and stuff that that I know that I disagree with. Um but we're singing about the same God. Mm. And um when when we think about like we and and with the creed every time. Um which is amazing. And I think that unity of like we can only disagree And we get to disagree because of Christ crucified. Like, as long as that's at the Mm. forefront and that's the only thing that we're really clinging to. Mm. Like, if you are keeping Christ crucified at the forefront, Paul says it, that's what, you know, that's what matters. Um, And I I think that's, yeah. No, I
1: think, uh, so you have that, I mean, like you just mentioned, you have that horizontal unifying of, of what singing does. But also you have that vertical unifying. And there's a section... Like vertical unifying of like humanity to God, yeah. there seems to be an experiential unity uh-huh. there. So I can't remember where it is in my book, but I have a, a thing where it's like if you're, you know, at church on Sunday morning with your your faith family, and you're singing the gospel together, you can't have sustained anger. towards the person across the room that you see while you're singing. And it's not because you have to hit pause on your anger and then sing, and then you can go back to your anger after you're done singing. It's that the unity that happens when you sing, I think, causes you to see that person how God sees them. And that is the thing that uh, tells your anger to shut up, Uh your unnecessary, like, unrighteous anger. Because if there is unity that happens when we sing, both amongst the people of God and the people of God with God himself, then that will change our perspective on life, but also this person over here, and I don't like their politics or I don't like the way they right. you know, talk to their spouse or whatever. I think singing together will reframe those things mm. and act- and make unity more than categorical, but hopefully push it towards actually experiential unity.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think prayer, maybe just in general, like a, a broad strokes statement, like I think prayer like pushes us to, to the compassionate justice of Mm. God, like, like, and and not to separate those two things. Right. But in moments like that, you see someone that you maybe would rather be able to dislike and, um, you like, just can't, you can't do it. You just can't like get there. And then, um, maybe in some other moments you see like just the brokenness of the world and you're pushed to, do something about it, and that's compassionate, and and then the other thing is just right, um, which I, I think is um, oh man, that's that's really cool. I had never thought about that actually. All and, that, and I think, <clears throat> um, I don't know how to say
1: this. I, I haven't thought through this one, but it's like, I think sometimes, usually in our praying and lament is great. Yeah, it's great. I'm team lament. Gratitude is great, but sometimes I still think in our Western hyper individualistic world. Mm. We can start to pray about those things, whether individually and or corporately. Yeah, We can do the gratitude or the lament. And it somehow becomes about those things, whether cultural, political frustration, or whether it becomes about, oh, well, God, bless me with this. And it becomes about gratitude for the thing. Again, those things are needed. But I think singing just m- turns you heavenward. It turns you Godward in such a way that, all those things are, are framed most immediately with the divine. Like even the old chapels and cathedrals, they had that high vertical thing because the singing, the acoustics would bounce yeah, off yeah. the top. And they were supposed to, with your, your, your gaze and your eyes and your voice, fix you heavenward, uh, if it were, as it were. And, and so there's, there's a reframing of how God sees mm-hmm. things when we realize that corporate singing is also corporate praying. Uh, And it becomes like, yes, those things matter. The the content of the lament and the content of the gratitude matter, but they need to matter so that you'll pay attention to God more and not so that you'll primarily fixate on temporal struggles or points of appreciation. It's like Mm -hmm. have a, a, a God besottedness, have a God saturatedness to your prayers that um i think i think singing just jump starts that
0: yeah wow um okay so i think yeah i'm trying to so singing m- maybe then more so like worship i guess okay. um like in its many forms because many things uh, are worshiped to many different things um shapes us into something right like i think of Tish Harrison Warren and James K. Smith like yeah. have great work on like the mundanity of like ordinary worship, yeah. and um, uh, James K. Smith's like you are what you love or like uh, uh, his cultural liturgy series. Great, great work on like how we are formed. Um, like, okay, so then spiritually and emotionally and physically, whatever. W- like, what does singing do to the singer? Oh, nice. Yeah
1: um yeah I mean one of my takes always is and this this goes with uh Tish and Jamie and their work on liturgy and worship and those things and how those things shape us I think unexplained liturgy is less helpful liturgy I won't say unhelpful yeah but um my church hasn't started doing it again uh since uh since covid stuff but one of the most worshipful moments on a Sunday morning for me was passing the offering plate Mm. because it was like everybody in that whole space touched it and it's supposed to represent sacrifice and so the days when our our worship leaders would go, hey, this is a reminder of you to give like Jesus gave it all. This yeah. is a reminder of you. So <clears throat> that explanation of a tiny little liturgical thing that I guarantee 74% of the people in the room didn't think about yeah, yeah. was supremely worshipful. <clears throat> so all that to say, when it comes to singing and explaining what happens to the singer, I think it's very key that to know that explaining what's happening will make us enjoy the happening of yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, dude, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, singing is so worshipful. Like, I just sensed God and I felt God. I feel God in this Chili's tonight. Office quote, sorry. <laughs> uh, so sorry. Um, but, like, explaining the thing, I think, heightens the beauty of the thing. So, first of all, you just have straight-out obedience. And to know that you're obeying God is a powerful humbling and beautiful thing. Mm. So if you just take all the commands in the Bible, what does he command most? Singing is top 5. Huh. And it's the most direct of the top 5. Yeah. Believe, really subjective. Yeah, right. Do not fear. Did I get enough sleep last night? <laughs> singing, you know when you're singing. So to know that you're standing in a place of obedience to God does something to your heart. Yeah. And that's just like, and people will try to overthink that or, or like over theologize that. And I go, if the Bible says it, do it. And if you're doing it, there's a great sweetness and glory and humility to it. So that's one thing is that we're standing in a place of obedience before the Lord. Uh, Another thing is that it does unify. Um, like, like we mentioned, it unifies um, body, mind, and soul. It also lets our bodies be active before the Lord. We can become a culture, especially in the um, American South, where just our Christianity is this true thing in our head, and it's kind of abstract. Yeah. But we're called for our whole bodies to participate in what God's doing. And So singing is a way that calls our bodies to action. Like even the psalmists say, um, my heart and flesh sing out to the living God. Mm. And so there is a holistic, embodied spirituality that is happening when we sing. Um, Emotionally speaking, one of my favorite chapters to write about uh, was what happens emotionally um, to the singer when they sing and the amount of different things on a health level that happen, Mm. whether in the brain or in the body, are just off the charts to where there are um, secular a neurobiologist. There's one guy named Dan Leviton. He's a neurobiologist and a record producer, you know, because he's got plenty of time on his hands. (laughs) And he says, we have seen health care use for music and singing in every space from uh, family therapy to operating rooms. Wow. And so the amount of things that happen to you on a health level, especially with the emotional life, um, when we sing is just Off the charts important, and it doesn't happen, and the the results are not the same when you sing alone. Although that's good, thumbs up. And the results are definitely not the same when you're just got your earbuds in and you're Mm -hmm. driving. Um, A UC Berkeley study found that there were they tested this choir, and there were 120 percent more disease fighting proteins in the mouth during choir practice. And not, and then during performance, because they were singing louder, they found 240 percent more disease-fighting, like killing disease, 240 percent more disease-fighting proteins in the mouth during actual concert. Huh. And so, the amount of like things that are happening uh, 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 in your body uh, when you sing are just like it, it's almost like God meant it for our good. <laughs> Yeah, Um, and so I think all these things are happening to the singer; these things and more. Whether it be you're standing in obedience before God, you are unified with your brothers and sisters. You are. It's just good for your health, right? And I know some people have their list of excuses, yeah. And I'm not saying they're all invalid, but I know that it requires effort. Uh Um, So, yeah, there's there's so much.
0: Hmm. Okay, yeah. So, moving now into like second half or like last quarter, however long it takes us to get through this next part. Um, uh, Cause I, we're going to go super practical. I, I love to end practically. Um, but then I think like, there's no way to go to this practical point and then not go back abstract, which kind of like, I'll, like I'll try. <laughs> it really, you know, I wish that we could end practically, but um, <laughs> I was writing these the other day and I was like, man, I was like, we just got to go there. Anyway, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for that part. Anyway. So, okay. All of that, all of those past 35 minutes, how do we sing? Like, what, oh, nice. like if singing is prayer and Paul says that we're to pray always, mm. and the Psalmist says that we're to pray until we become prayer. How do we, like what practices of praise and worship do we insert into our everyday life? And what does that look like? And like, what is the difference between singing by yourself and singing with others? And just how, like, how do we navigate the the part of Christian life that is praying as 21st century Americans, probably most people listening, living in the Southeast? Um, yeah. What is that? What, what do we do yeah. with that? I mean, um, my first take would just be
1: uh, belong to a local church. Yeah. Like, Find a local church that loves Jesus, that preaches the Bible, that is open to the Holy Spirit, that wants to care for the broken and the poor and the needy, that wants to uh, have great joy hmm. in the Holy Spirit and never shuts up about the cross and the resurrection, and the Bibles are always open. Like find that space where people confess and own sins, and find just find a good church, yeah, <laughs> and make sure that church is as giddy to sing. The gospel as they are to preach the gospel as they are to live the gospel. Ooh. So find that space, and then when you get there on Sunday morning, you have to flush the argument that you have with your kids on the way to the office or, or on the way to uh, church. You have to flush the thing that you woke up thinking about that you should have left at the office mm. Friday at 5 or whatever. Yeah. Just get in there, and I would just say sing a little bit louder than you naturally want to. And just tr- fight to believe and trust that what you're singing is true. Yeah. So belong to a local church body that um, <clears throat> that is willing to sing with great gusto the good news about Jesus. Now I could do a drop down arrow under that. I'm a big hymns guy, a big hymn snob guy, and I, I don't want to sound super like a jerk on this, but like, dude, those songs have had. Decades upon decades of opportunities to fade into the footnotes of history, and they're still melodically pertinent. And those things were even written for the voice, and today's modern music is great. I'm a music snob, but it's like those things were written for the groove and the instrumentation. And that song, you know the song, that one won't be around in 18 months, Uh but um, you know, Come Thou Fount was sung by your... Your your great grandma, and so are all
0: creatures of our God. And yeah, King dude, and Saint then Francis, man, like that. Uh, that uh, this is a like footnote, real quick. <laughs> the uh, we were talking about horizontal and vertical unification. Hmm. Talk about like at a z-axis, yeah. right? And go, we're going back in time and into the future when we sing a song written by Saint Francis. Yeah. Um, th- a thousand years ago almost. Um, and even the content of that song is there seems to be a harmonizing of us with creation. Yeah. And <laughs> so like this is more ancient than we can even wrap our, our minds around. Yeah. And that doesn't... Now now back to yeah. my yeah. Uh, simple uh,
1: drop-down arrow. That doesn't mean you need to go to church that only sings hymns. I of think course. there's a great beauty to that. That's yeah. a personal thing. I don't want to force that on people. But dude, go to a church that sings the gospel yeah. and where people get kind of giddy and uh-huh. hype about singing. Uh-huh. Like... Go, do
0: that. So your question was, how do you sing? I, that will be the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, could. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. To add like, okay, so I have a friend who, um, we were driving to a concert last March and she was like, yeah, I took like a, uh, I, I can't remember if it was a month or two months or however many. She was like, I took like a month and I just did not Yeah, I was Katie. Mize. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, I took like a month that didn't listen to any music at all. And then she was like, it made live music and it made church and, and corporate worship so much more like transcendent and yep. that has a weird like christians get weird about that word yep. but i love that word i'm from massachusetts so you know walden pond <gasps> yeah yeah yeah. i'm yeah. skipping a jump away <laughs> um but like you know the the transcendent uh, like the divine there's yeah. a connection there uh, um with singing that I think we become desensitized to a little bit because we're, we're listening to worship music on our drive to Greenville. And that's like, yeah. fine. Like do that for sure. Worship God in your space, in your time, with your time. That's a sacrifice. James K. Smith's new book, how to inhabit time. Like he talks yeah. about spending your time in a way that is honoring to God and, and worshipful. Um, but like, like, there is something that happens when you're hearing music, singing music, consuming music, yeah. participating in music with other people around you.
1: Absolutely. And dude, to me, it's a commentary on the incarnation. It really is. Of like the lyric became flesh, the melody became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, there you could have all fun of all kinds of fun, symphonic riffs on that. Yeah. But there is something incarnational about it. And I love Katie Mines with all my heart. And when she did that, I was like, okay, do it, sister. Um, so your question, how do we sing? I think that's, I love that idea to, re, to remind us of the beauty of it. But at the same time, one of the ways that we can uh-huh. show our gratitude for all the um, opportunities to, to do the singing is to like, hey, put on some good worship music while you're cleaning the house. And maybe like whoever's living with you, just be like, hey, let's just sing along as we clean. I mean, something dumb and simple like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to abuse that. But I think <clears throat> that's why I started with find a local church, you know, start there. But other ways are just, like, have an intentional heart posture of gratitude and then enter into that and sing really loud with whatever your Spotify is or whatever. Yeah. Join a community group or, like, have some friends and just, I mean, on one level, in my mind, it doesn't even, yes, it matters, but, like, just sing some oldies, sing some pop songs, like, yeah. singing together as people, as friends, as people of God. There is um a holy thing that happens in that um
0: yeah yeah wow okay so yeah i think that like genuinely that is the only practical step i think there is is like how do we sing well just Just do it sing um and and that's like that's definitely the answer i had in mind and that i was anticipating but even then i'm still frustrated by it because i'm like okay like I wish this were a more accessible thing than, like, just singing. Uh, I, I will add, like, I in in my last chapter, I have ten suggestions on, like, how to
1: change your habits of singing. And my last one, I, I will mention my last one of those ten. You'll have to go buy a, a copy or 30 of my book and, you know, get the other nine. It's everything I'm saying right here. It's nothing important. Yeah. Um, But the last one is sing with people that are different than you. Oh, yeah which might mean a generational thing it might mean a racial thing it might mean a, a political opinion thing but if you can sing the same truth yeah. about who God is who god is revealed who who god is as revealed in the gospel if you can sing those things with people who are different than you then I think um it really really, reshapes how you view what God is doing in the world, how he is advancing his kingdom in the world. And so that would be uh, another encouragement. And if that means you need to go hang out with your little student ministry at your church and they sing songs that make you want to roll your eyes initially, (laughs) like go do that, try that out. If that means you need to go to a different church, go to a different church. And so, yes, find a good local church, but make sure it includes um, people that aren't exactly like you in every way. And I think there's a, a great health that.
0: Okay, here we go. So I've been talking to friends about this, thinking about my own experience. And it seems like there's a huge element of place to all of the things that we're talking about, like Mm. camps, retreats, worship nights, things like hymns and hops. Why do all of these things feel different than a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever you gather with Mm. your body? Okay. That's like part one. Yeah. Um, Oh, man, that's a great question. Or do they at all? Like, is that just something? Oh, I think they absolutely
1: feel different. Dude, Thursday night at youth camp, when you're playing the songs for too long before you leave on Friday morning, it's like weirdly emotional. Yeah. But I think uh, the wrong response to that is to say everything I felt is real and good and true and I have to go live there. And the other wrong (laughs) response is to go, People, the the youth leader is just manipulative, and right, right, the right. band is just too dang good. Yeah. so you have to guard against both extreme responses. Uh, I'll do a parallel here. <clears throat> I adore my wife. She's the most wonderful, beautiful, incredible, hilarious, creative, witty, awesome individual. I love her. <clears throat> Our wedding day was really, really special. Um. Anniversaries are pretty. Killer and special because mm-hmm. we get to sit together, laugh together, go out and have a nice meal, have yeah. a nice glass of wine together and laugh. Um, those weekends where grandma takes the kids mm-hmm. and we can just sit in our PJs on Saturday morning and just read and laugh and not move or talk, those are sweet and those are special. But often it's like, Dad gummit we gotta pay bills. Dad gummit what are we eating for supper? You're too tired, I'm too tired. Oh gosh, I hate this. Oh, we have to we gotta go pick up our son from this practice from this yeah. thing. So I think the regular groove of life, family life, covenant family life is like, that's going to include some Sunday morning stuff that doesn't feel spectacular. But I think there could be a parallel drawn to go. Israel had seven feasts in the Old Testament that were these high holidays in which they were supposed to do unique, more elaborate things. And there was perhaps a greater emotional sense about Hmm. them or, I mean, dare I say the mountaintop thing, because that's even (laughs) Jesus' own fault in Matthew 17 with transfiguration Mark 9. But I don't think those other things, if I felt God here or this was more emotionally intense here, I don't think think those things are wrong. But I think those things should be paired with a faithful presence to regularly do the normal thing, Mm -hmm. the I got to wake up, I got to eat, I got to pay bills, I got to do all these normal things. Like, but then, dude, anniversaries are sweet. Mm. You know, weekends away with the wife are, are sweet. Yeah, And so those other times, whether it's at a conference or a retreat, I know people who want to angrily preach against that or be pro that. And I just go, can we have a balanced take on them mm. that could be God's faithfulness? In it? How can we see God's faithfulness in it before we either uh, decry it or just baptize it as perfect? Yeah, And... I've participated in all, and I've had both of those views right, on different right. things, too. And so <clears throat> the other reality is I can't live in my marriage the right way if my parents have my kids all the time. Mm. I can't live on these uh, emotional singing highs because I have to get back to regular in real life. Yeah. And so that routine gathering of the saints, doing corporate worship, doing Feeding one another uh, it, it, as a family, I think there is a beauty to the routine. This is the yeah. James, James Smith, yeah. et etc. Oh, yeah. This is there is a, a sacramental, holy, incarnational beauty to the routine of gathering with the saints regularly, community groups, Sunday morning, etc. Of going, sweetie, we got to put food on the table tonight. What are we doing? We got to pay bills. Yeah. But I think that is the thing that actually gives life to the other thing. If people think it's the other way around. That is the thing belonging to a local body of Christ where people know all your crap and you know all theirs. Yeah. And you forgive them and you love them and you tolerate them and you worship Jesus together. That is the thing that gives life to the like, hey, we're going to have a big sing party. We're going to have this yeah. big thing yeah. rather than it be the other way around. Right. Even if I really like these other things yeah, yeah, where yeah. we go crazy and we have fun and it's like I really think this is the thing that fuels and gives
0: uh transcendent energy and beauty to the other thing. Because that's doing the stretching and the pulling and the pushing um, towards something better and and the inviting even maybe. Um, I think of, uh, you meant like, I mean, we've been mentioning Tish for a while. But her her quote about like, man, I can remember that like really, really bougie restaurant that I went (laughs) to like three years ago. Um, But – The amount of PB&Js I've eaten between then and now (laughs) is, like, uncountable. Yeah. Um, And I feel the same way. Like uh, Exactly. Back in March, I went to this amazing restaurant in Chattanooga, had some of the best food in my life for, like, one of my best friends, like, bachelor weekends. It was great. Um, But the amount of PB&Js that I've forgotten about between that night and and this morning. Preach so hard. um, And it's like you won't remember –
1: you might not remember that sermon on a Sunday morning seven months ago. Uh But if you belong to that body, that word spoken that day was for your nourishment and sustenance and health as an individual and as a part of that body. Now, there might also be a time where you go away to a retreaty kind of thing, and somebody brings a prophetic word that has Jesus dead center in the middle of it, and you're like, here I raise my Ebenezer. Dude, I'm never forgetting that. But Again, it's the regular thing that makes that thing pop so hard. Yeah, and
0: it's the same with books. I mean, like, there's that yeah, Emerson yeah. quote. I forget what it is, but it's essentially the idea of, like, that reading is formative, not informative. Mm. Um, like, you're not reading for fact or information. You're reading to become a person. Like, a, yeah. you're reading books to become a type of person. So good. Um, and it's the same thing with with worship. And, um, yeah, okay, so now that that's out of the way. We, we could just go for two hours. Place <laughs> Henry Nowen. And this is wrapping us up. Henry Nowen, who I love, he's like my main guy. He's he's really started me on this journey of, like, um, uh, praying and, and wanting to discover what prayer actually is and, like, Sift through the genuinely the ways I was lied to growing up, and maybe not maliciously, <laughs> but like um, it happened, right? And I, I came into college with a drastically different view of prayer than I have now. Mm. Um, and trying to unlearn and relearn a lot of things um, has been like a two year journey. That's the purpose of this podcast, so as good. you all know. Um, Henry Nowen talks about building an inner monastic cell okay. that you can retreat into. At any point uh to pray and practice inner silence and solitude um even in a noisy room full of people mm. um mm. It, it's great and depending on your tradition like the secret place might be like a more accessible way of saying that to you like setting the secret place in your heart essentially he's talking about not relying on the physical space around you to access to the to access the divine, yeah. to have communion of the heart of the heart or mind or however you want to cut yeah. that with God. Um, so how then can we capture, whether it's a Sunday morning that we remember for some reason or like BCM fall retreat, um, for sure. how can we capture the awe and the excitement of vocal praise and worship, singing songs, and set it in our hearts? In other words, what does it look like to build an inner cathedral in which we... Gotcha sing always deep inside of ourselves?
1: Well, my my response to that would be twofold. One, Nowen's mind and story are far greater than mine, but I would want to guard against uh, a a personal Gnosticism Uh, in in that paradigm, meaning I would hope that the physical world around me would serve... I think it's a both hand. Yeah. But would also be able to serve me in gratitude or lament uh-huh. or praise or uh incarnationality with other people. And at the same time, be able to take a deep breath and do my Eastern meditation stuff, you yeah, know, in Jesus' yeah. name. And also be able to be still mm-hmm. in, in any kind of space. Um so I, I think one of the ways we do that is um having a telos to our prayers and our songs. Um, and when we say in Jesus' name in our prayers, that is that God's kingdom will come through Christ and Christ alone. That is that our singing should be done in Christ and Christ alone. That is that all scripture is for Christ and Christ alone, that yeah. he's He's the point of it. <clears throat> so finding a way to take a deep breath and build that inner cathedral and the the... In some, like, neo-reformed traditions, they say this, but I really like the language of, like, preach the gospel to yourself. Yeah. So when you get in that space, you take a deep breath and you go, there's no condemnation Yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so open my heart, Spirit. Let me hear from you, Father. Mm. Um, Jesus, make me like you. And just to breathe and be still, no matter what's going on right, around right. you. Or simultaneously to go, whatever you've done to Lisa, you've done to me. So, Christ, help me to see you in this room yeah. and to step out in sacrificial self-giving love mm-hmm. so that I might embody your way of life to, to others. And I think, again, <clears throat> singing can help cultivate those spaces. Yeah. Uh, and prayer, I mean, it's the same with prayer. Mm-hmm. Prayer and song are, are always in tandem in my mind and can help cultivate those kinds of spaces. In fact, um the most uh prayerful person I know in my whole life is my mom. Mm-hmm. She's also the most like singing person I know <laughs> in my whole life. And I dedicated my book to her. But I those that's not an accident. That's not yeah. like, "Oh, whoops." They Right. She likes to sing and she also is a crazy prayer mama. Like yeah. those things are super connected. And so realizing that the vehicle of song can do that and allow you to take the deepest breath possible with your body and your soul, and give you that. I like that language, enter cathedral, give you that, and also allow you to open your eyes yeah. and see prayerful opportunities yeah. uh, around you. In Jesus' name, I think I just think song has that much uh, potency mm. built into it, and it, it's God's fault. It's His idea yeah. to to do all that.
0: Yeah, I think. I don't know. I've been I've been thinking about <clears throat> the contemplative tradition um, a lot. And I, I think what it comes down to is that sort of prayer um, should and does push you to the the peace and the love of yeah. God. Um, and I don't think these are exclusive to each other. But so if that does that, then I think maybe the sort of inner singing that I don't know. I, I, was, I mean, I was looking for stuff on it. I don't know if anyone's – I'm sure people Davis, have thought about it.
1: Davis Ford has a book called The Self and Salvation Being Transformed by Cambridge Cambridge University Press. And he has about 10 pages on the singing of Ephesians 5. Okay. And you just need to go find okay. it a library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If not, I've got it in my office, and it's fabulous because Paul says there – Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to God in your heart. Yeah. So there's an outward physical thing, but then it's also like the singing thing, which is singing is not metaphor in the Bible. Yeah. The singing thing, and it's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, triple down. Yeah. He's tripling down. He goes, do it in your heart. Yeah. And so it's like, well, is this a in my heart thing or is this with my whole body? In? And I right. think Paul would just be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, Davis Ford has a great, yeah, <clears throat> um, might be David Ford. Um, He has a great bit on those things. But again, I think what you're talking about is how much singing can accomplish as a gift and a vehicle um, for divine purposes in the world and in our own lives. So, yeah, I think there's great exploration
0: there. Yeah, and I, I think really it invites us to joy and to... Unity, um, maybe above oh, all yeah. things, and hope, um, yeah. uh, more than, you know, sitting in the prayer of the heart. Um, obviously, those things come with that. Cause, and, th- and those but, are both ends. Yeah, right, Absolutely
1: right. both ends. Like sometimes I read about the early monastics and I go, man, there's a great beauty to yeah. separation and distinction, but it's like how are you going to uh-huh. do good to people when you're just out in the desert, bro? Right. But at the same time, there's people so involved,
0: self-involved, where it's like, you should Go take to the some time. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that and both, that both end thing is so crucial, right? That's where I think it comes down to like the person knowing yourself and and listening to how the Holy Spirit whispers to you. Um, and then we talked about like stepping into obedience um, a little bit into that. But yeah, thank you for coming on, dude. This dude, was an amazing conversation. Oh man, we could probably keep going for hours. Yeah, I, I think we could. But uh, yeah, we're we're getting close to uh, an hour, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. If Absolutely. you if you're curious, um, I'll link uh, Jim's book down in the show notes, and you should pick it up. It is uh, it's it's I'm really I'm really excited for the read. Uh, it's it's
1: it. probably the best book that's ever been written. Yeah, probably. I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so dude. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: better than uh, like second. It's like Bible. Sing <laughs> I'll die happy. Like, you know,
1: that's no. Oh, that's what my mom said. That's just, oh yeah, that's her review. That's funny. Oh, I saw that on the back of the, that you, you, she's so funny. In fact, I think she just texted me while we were talking and she said, I'm crying. I just read the last chapter. That's what she just texted. Oh, that's
0: funny. Um, well, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time to talk about, um, meditation and, uh, a little bit about, um, praying scripture. And we touched on that a little bit today, singing scripture, but, um, what does it look like to sit down and pray scripture and take that with you. Um, And not only pray it with your lips, but to, again, like always, pray it with your heart. Um, So yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Teach Us to Pray podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it with your friends. We hope this conversation was helpful to you and to your practice of prayer. If you missed any of the other ones, you can go back and listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you back here next week with a new guest and a new topic. Thanks again. Bye.